As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to your customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash why food. Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and career changers. I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch. And I'm Valerie Lomas. And we are joined this week by Zaid and Haifa Kurdia, who are the farmers and owners at Norwich Meadows Farms. Zaid and Haifa, thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> uh, this, we're, we're recording remotely as, as we are doing all of our episodes these days, so... Uh, we're, we're trying to make this work across several different computers and locations. Um, but let's start with a little introduction. Zaid or Haifa, tell us about the farm and, and what makes it special. Okay, so uh, today especially is very sunny and a very mild day. So we've been happy since the morning. Uh, a few days ago, it was uh, we had 21 degrees overnight and 24 degrees, which made us uh, a little bit crabby. So our farm has been around now for a little over 20 years. We uh, farm it uh, certified organic. And uh, I moved to New York after having lived in a lot of uh, very different places, Kansas, Wyoming, D.C., Virginia, and other and other miscellaneous places. And uh, it... it uh, it culminated in me doing what I've always wanted to do, and that is to be somewhat of an entrepreneur, but I wanted it to be a farm um, because I've always loved uh, playing with the dirt. So uh, I was with Cornell University for a few years, and while I was working for them, I started Norwich Meadows Farm on a very small scale. And then uh, after three years, it uh, sort of got a little too big to to do both. So. I jumped ship, ship, and I started farming full time, 
and that was definitely a, a major uh, transition from having a steady paycheck to having no <laughs> no knowledge of what uh, the next week or month is going to bring you because when you're when you're brand new at farming you're still uh, finding markets and uh, trying to get grounded in what you do and uh, 20 some years later we're at over 200 acres and a whole mess of high tunnels approaching 14 acres of high tunnels and we serve thousands and thousands of people in New York City mostly most of our business is down in the city and it has been a very hectic ride but a very fun one at the same time as we get to associate with uh, very kind people and neither one of you had come from a, a real farming background necessarily so how did you how did you decide to start a farm how did you know that that you wanted to play in the dirt as you said well, it, it, it was, you know, I've always had a fascination with, with, with literally growing things. As a kid, I grew things, tried to grow things. And, um, you know, I think, some, there, you know, there's always a calling. So when I was uh, debating on, okay, what am I going to be when I grow up? Um, I basically chose two majors, applied to one university for both majors, and it just so happened that the other major, which was uh, industrial engineering, it was a, a business industrial engineering program. Uh, they had to close out that program for the lack of students. And so my, I guess it was my second choice, but not really. Um, so I was admitted to the School of Agriculture at the University of Wyoming. And that was, that's kind of how how that happens. So it's always been a passion of mine, things related to food, food security, uh, countries and people being able to be food secure. And so I guess I followed my dream because the rest of my family are the uh, proverbial, proverbial Middle Eastern uh, type. You know, they're either engineers or doctors or that kind of a thing. And I had really no interest in being either an engineer, at least that type of engineer. My family are mostly uh, electronic engineers. Um, industrial to me was totally different, and combining it with business would have been something that I could, could have lived with and, and, and would have liked because industrial engineering is more about problem solving. So um, I, I chose my passion, and I stuck with it, and I have no regrets. And Haifa, how about you? How did you feel about the uh, the idea to, to start a farm? Well, uh, I was basically, let's say, I, I was born in the Middle East. I was born into our farms because my grandparents had citrus fruits and vegetables. So I always grew up around the farm, ate organic from a long time ago. My mom, and when you are in the Middle East, you always have a, a garden a kitchen garden, let's call it. So you grow your herbs and some stuff, you know, tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff like that. So my mom had a vegetable garden and also roses. And she had some fruit trees. So I guess it's in me, but I never thought it's going to go that big and wide like this. Yeah, so I guess like about it going big and wide, like as someone who's 
a consumer uh, or desires to be a consumer of better, better grown um, vegetables and other produce. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how it is that you guys are able, I know, I know that you guys um, met Ethan kind of through the green market, but how is it that people, um, pe- how, how have you guys been able to distribute your produce um, to consumers directly? Well, when I when I started the farm, I basically knew that I was not going to be a commodity farmer. Having worked in USDA and with with uh, the uh, Cornell University and having worked with farms, I knew that wasn't the way I wanted to go because that's a very very tough business. Not to say that what we're doing is not tough in a, in its own right, but at least by in theory by being able to sell direct to the consumer you cut out some of the uh, middlemen and and the farmer then is supposed to be able to capture uh some some of that money that otherwise otherwise goes to middlemen and that's true to some extent but it's not 100 percent accurate because then you're performing the roles of the middlemen and therefore your costs you know are not going to be the same as a pure farmer that's just say selling milk to a cooperative um, so we chose this, at, you know, we knew that we wanted to sell at farmer's markets. That's what we started. We started selling in, uh, in Vestal, New York. And then, um, after that, we, we applied to the green markets and we started picking up CSAs. And then over time, uh, being at the green markets, we were coming in contact with chefs. And so then the chef business, uh, started uh, picking up and then, that now, well, up until this uh, mess we're in at the moment, uh, was you know it 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 rose up to sixty percent of our business was was uh, selling to to restaurants. So obviously we, you know, as a business, you have to evolve. Um, you know, markets are, don't stay the same. Uh, farmers markets, you know, the size we're at now is such that we. You know, we we sell a lot, a lot of produce, and so you you may reach a plateau. You may saturate the market. There may be other people coming in. So um, we had to continually grow because the margins in this business continually get eroded. Um, and and one year from the one year from the to the next, you you don't know. You have if you have bad weather, you your margin could be eroded. So you're always looking for newer and better better opportunities. And so even with our work with the restaurants, it's not quite a, it's not quite a wholesale relationship. We we tend to grow things that are that are more um, special um, so that we can, you know, have a bit better margins than, say, just growing a generic potato. Uh, we try very hard to grow things that are um like the things you grow in your backyard because when you when you when you're at a a large level then you're farming differently than somebody that's going to give uh tender loving care to each plant and that manifests itself in the flavor and the quality of the produce so we we still try to to be like a small garden um and in the way we farm uh in the way we fertilize in the attention that we give to the plants so that so that the flavor can be uh, felt, and you, you, it's like you know grabbing something from your garden. You also uh, built this this network of chefs really, uh, really effectively, and 
uh, I know you have some thoughts on on marketing and marketing of vegetables. So could you talk a little bit about how you were able to uh, kind of point the business in that direction? Well, I mean, it's it's a bit of a fascinating story in the sense that when when you're working the farmers markets, I mean, our I hate to use the word model because that seems to be somewhat artificial and somewhat uh, uh, not uh, true to who you are. So tr- trying to be true to who we are, um, we, we're, we're, we, we like to be hospitable. So in, in what that allows you to do is it, it allows you to get close to people. It allows you to have conversations. It, in, and so we more or less bef- befriend um we befriend our customers, and they turned into more friends than than just customers. So that type of relationship allows you to to work with chefs in particular in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Because now, if you're if you're a friend, they're going to ask you questions. Um, that are different. You're going to be able to talk to them and introduce them to things that you wouldn't normally uh, be able to do if you just had a, a pure commercial relationship. The other thing is, uh, you know, one of the reasons, and this is a story that um, that is just, you know, it's it's it it shows how we've developed our relationship with chefs. So we, when we're in the city for three four days. We need to eat somewhere, so we would go to a particular restaurant in the East Village, and um, you know, Haifa's hands started getting puffy, and we had told them we can't have monosodium glutamate, and you know, we kind of knew those people. So, what that evolved into is uh, we went and had a conversation with uh, Mike Anthony of Gramercy Tavern, and said, "Hey, Mike, you know, we we have a problem. We we need to eat." our food you buy a lot of our produce you know us um can we somehow work out something where we can actually eat food we can trust and so that developed into us basically going to gramercy on on a fairly regular basis including their family meals so that we could know because we could literally go into their kitchen and observe what they're doing they knew our dietary restrictions in terms of what we can and can't eat. And so that, you know, th- those are the type of relationships that we have with chefs. And we, we dine at these places. We talk to these people. We know what good food is. And so that gives us the opportunity to work with them to, to basically help them, you know, develop menus that, 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 are, that are better because we can point them in the direction of what's good this week or what's good in general. And, um, and, and, and because we grow a plethora of different varieties, you know, we, we can offer them so many different flavors, textures, and so on. Yeah, I mean, speaking colors. of those, uh, the different varieties, I think one of the things that people may not understand, people who don't know your farm or your offerings, may not understand just the, the, the sheer number of different plants that you grow, um, both the different vegetables, but also the different varieties of each vegetable. So I don't, could you talk a little bit about that, how you make those decisions, how you choose what to grow, and, and how you manage the, just the, the logistical, operational, uh, enormous task of, of juggling all of those different vegetables? Sure. So, you know, it, that also obviously evolved. I mean, par- partially 
when we started, our goal was to grow food that we were familiar with and introduce others to, for example, Middle Eastern varieties of, of food that are just, you know, something that we long for from our, from our living in, in the Middle East. So that, that's sort of where it started, is that we wanted to grow different things. Well, that little project got out of hand, and now we grow over 1,500 different varieties. And the, the, the planning of that happens based on, okay, I'm going to, you know, last year I sold, you know, 500 pounds, for example, of Jimmy Nardello peppers, you know, so, and I, and that's, uh, say a hundred pounds more than the previous year. So we use those type of matrix, but also the second thing that we've been doing for the last five, six years is we've now, we're now associated with, uh, uh, the breeders. We, we work with breeders. And so we've, we've, um, worked on sort of custom breeding varieties that fit, one, either what a chef desires or what we think that the market is going to accept. Um, so that's that's only in the last five, six years. So we work with Row 7 and Dan Barber, and we work with Michael Mazurik, and we work with other breeders across the country. And we're in the process of developing new breeds. There's a squash out there that's uh, uh, that was developed because the Johnny's was going to drop a particular a variety of squash and or not them but actually the 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 the, the seed breeder that was that um that sold it to them so it was our favorite squash so we immediately called up Michael Mazurik and said we got to do something about this and so over uh, I think a period of 4 or 5 years uh we developed an a a, a squash that is not now named after uh Haifa I can't remember the whole name of the it's it's Haifa's del delicious or Haifa's something. Um, it's sold by Fruition Seeds. It's a small seed company in the Finger Lakes or in that region. Um, so again, we we the process is also includes. Okay, I in the early spring I salivate over catalogs. So we get you know hundreds and hundreds of catalogs from seed companies, and we go through them and we're looking for that next best thing or that n new product that either a chef would like or we think consumers would like. Um, and so that's a process that's, that we continually uh, evolves or literally we get people that come in and say, well, I was, I was in Vietnam and they grow this thing. Can you, can you figure out how to grow it? And so we'll look into it. And if it looks like it's something that's tasty and we can grow it, then we, we definitely try to do that. And so it's that process is, is continual. This year with COVID, we have actually dialed that program back because many of our restaurants, as you well know, are unfortunately closed and we don't know what's going to happen. And so we're still growing a, 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 an enormous variety, but it, it will not be anything like what we normally do given the circumstances we're in. Wow, I mean, that number of varieties is kind of mind-blowing. Um, but I'm curious if maybe you could talk a little bit more about um, the effect that COVID has had on your business. Um, I mean, obviously, restaurants have had to dial it back significantly with takeout orders and other things. But have you seen an uptick in, um, in your sales at Green Markets or the signups for CSA? Have you seen more... 
um, actual um, individuals or families um, buying your produce? Yes. So yeah, when the when the shutdown occurred, you know that first week we basically lost the majority of our sales, and that's because in March we're mostly selling to restaurants either directly or through Baldor, and our sales at the farmers markets are not. You know they're not that robust in terms of selling to to just regular civilians, as I like to call them, because there's there's no you know the variety is not there like the summertime, and the weather's usually you know you get bad days and so on. So so we probably lost in total that first week. Of, you know we saw close to a ninety percent drop because even the farmers markets were affected. Um, in the days since, I mean, we immediately, when we saw that and we saw, okay, everybody's staying home, so we immediately started a program of, of delivering home delivery. So we, we had in place folks that we work with uh, that basically um, uh, were, were delivering for us on our behalf to the restaurants. So we... Uh, called them up and said, okay, guys, we've got this new opportunity. Are you ready? And we just rolled it out. We started out a la carte, which was uh, people loved it, but we hated it because it turned all of my farm staff into people who were just basically fulfilling orders and not farming anymore. So after that, we changed more to a more CSA style box. You have, you have some choice. You can get a box with eggs, a box with pantry items. And, um, and then we, yeah, that, that took off and even Baldor pivoted and they started, uh, delivering boxes and doing home deliveries. So they were talk, taking boxes from us. So that's at the moment that represents the majority of our sales. The farmer's market sales have been coming up since, um, my smallest farmer's farmer's market at the moment yields the highest uh, civilian sales uh, Sunday at Tompkins. Um, we don't really do much wholesale there anyway, and I think that's a neighborhood market, and we've been serving that market for 20 years now, so um, we have quite a following over there. And also because you know the food outlets are just not there anymore, so I'm sure that Im is impacting our sales. So as as of right now, yes, we have seen we have a lot more people wanting CSAs or traditional CSAs. Um, uh, people have uh, are are demanding the boxes, although we have seen a bit of a slowdown um, in that. But uh, that's related to a problem we had with with another partner, and we'll see how we're going to recover from that. But um, the the compass for us right now is is not very clear i mean some of our restaurants are starting to reopen you know on a limited basis um what's going to happen to farmers markets in two months you know are we still going to be social distancing if if they are right now they only allow about 300 people at, at a time um in the farmers markets at, at union square so that will definitely have an impact on sales um so now we're just we're pushing our our CSA 
subscription models hard because that's at the moment that's what seems to be appealing to people will help people in their in their quarantine and it's it's how we're able to move uh, some of the volume of what we have and where we go from here you know we're working with chefs on the possibility of doing a a different kind of farm to table uh, meal where literally they buy our produce they make the food and then we collaborate with them on delivery so that's a model that we're, we're, we're currently exploring and have done a little bit of that but not it hasn't come to to fruition because most of these folks are still closed um, that's you know and and where else are we going to evolve? It just depends on the circumstances and what other opportunities might present themselves in the next you know, few weeks. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for those of us running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, which means the way they shop for food is changing. I've seen the shift happen at Burlap & Barrel, the single origin spice company that I founded with my friend Ori Zohar. Because we have an online store and we can ship orders, it's a safe and healthy way for home cooks to get spices delivered right to their doors. Now people are more curious than ever about the ethics and sustainability around food, and it's a great opportunity for us to talk about Burlap & Barrel's social mission while growing our business so that we can continue to support our partner farmers around the world. If you run a restaurant, farm, or other small food business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep your customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all of your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash why food. And we're back. You're listening to Why Food. And we're joined this week by Zaid and Haifa Kurdia, owners and farmers of Norwich Meadows Farm in Norwich, New York. Um, just before the break, we were talking about some of the changes to the business since COVID and, and the lockdown in New York City. Um, and I wanted to ask, I, th I think what, what was so impressive to me watching you make that pivot, uh, setting up all this, the home delivery apparatus, uh, launching the CSAs, um, was how quickly you made that happen in a time when New York was shut down. A lot of other farmers were wondering uh, whether their businesses were even going to survive. And I guess you must have been wondering that also. How did you, how did you, maybe this is a, a big, difficult question to answer, but how did you know, A, what to do and B, how to do it? Well, I mean, we, we had been thinking about a different model that's different than, than the CSA. So we, you know, we used to do up to 2,000 shares in the summertime CSA, but over the years that has kind of eroded due to various factors. And so we've been sort of thinking, okay, how can we come up with a, a different model where, where home delivery was involved? So the thought process was there. Um, and as you pointed out, I mean, when, when your market all of a sudden is not there, 
I mean, I had I had brought in my 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 farm workers from Egypt early because we were afraid of, of, of something like this happening, meaning they shut down the airports and we can't get them in. So all of a sudden I have 20 guys that need to get paid. And so I had to, you know, jump into action and figure out, okay, how are we going to do, how are we going to generate revenue so that I can keep, keep everybody paid? And, and, you know, obviously the, 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 you know, we, I was worried that, okay, now what? Um, is are we done? And obviously, I don't. You know, that's I I act fast, and that's that's a good thing and a bad thing. So, you know, we had we already had, you know, the, the the logistics part we already had because we do you know lots and lots of deliveries anyway, not quite this many. And so, the only other thing was okay. Now I guess we got to start packing boxes and. Um, we were very fortunate that we had a, a bunch of volunteers and, and friends and so on from various restaurants that we work with, and they are really good at what they do. And so the packing part came fairly natural to them. So everything just kind of fit into place, you know, and it was, you know, I was on the phone, as you witnessed, uh, you know, all the time, figuring out all the little nuances of everything we need to do from setting up web pages to to okay you know well, what's happening with this delivery to you know all the little details that that need to happen and and we're still doing that because we're still evolving um it's it's a matter of necessity for us you know i'm not a quitter um i want my farm to continue and so i'm going to do what it takes to to basically maintain that and um you know, it could have evolved into something else that I don't even know what it would have been now, but it was very natural. Everybody stuck at home. Okay, what's the answer to that? Get the ho get the food to them at home. So it was it was a pretty easy thing to spot, and it just it was a matter of just making it happen. And so we were lucky enough to to have the help, including uh, my menu advisor, Mr. Ethan. Um, you know, people jumped and, and we were able to make it happen quickly. I mean, I think that's definitely the key for any business that's, um, trying to survive and thrive during the pandemic is how can you pivot? How can you use the infrastructure that you've already created, um, in an innovative and creative way to kind of serve what our needs are right now? And I think um, I think that's something that we uh, we can we should all kind of be focusing on, opposed to um, like trying to focus on well what's going to happen when things go back to normal because obviously like this is this is our new normal at least right now. So I think the way that you are able to just be creative and innovate with that pivot um, is really inspiring and is definitely something that I think a lot of other businesses are thinking about how they can implement so um, so fluidly as you seem to have done. Um, so I, I, I think I want to talk a little bit more about like what you guys are actually producing this season, just because I mean, I'm like I said before, like I'm a consumer and I don't necessarily get to make it to the farmer's market that often because of where I live. Um, I'm just curious, like what what do you see that's really popular right now that that people are interested in that's in season right now 
um, for people who might not be a part of the CSA program, what can they look forward to that your farm produces? Well, I mean, we're right now, obviously, this is the beginning of the season. So we are a bit on the low side of, of, of availability, but um, the weather has improved drastically and we do have our high tunnels. So we've had a little bit of asparagus and some strawberries and some squash coming out of our high tunnels now. And and that's the normal course of things. And new potatoes are starting to come now and fennel is coming out. So yeah. So things things are things are happening, and with 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 a lot of sun and and mild weather, we'll we'll see more and more things. Um, the the difference is going to be this year is we're 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 sort of trying to be a bit more meat and potatoes, um, because I mean the other the other part of this pandemic that I don't think we have seen yet, and we're going to see later, is that you know you have a whole mess of people off of work. Yeah, maybe they're getting some unemployment. But I don't think we've seen the full effect of income effect on, on folks going forward. So, and that was a decision that I took a couple of months ago. I said, okay, well, you know, it, it may be that a lot of our customers aren't going to have the disposable income. They're going to need the help. So we're looking at growing things that are more, again, that yield better potentially that, that are, you know, some of the tomato breeds that I usually grow that are a bit finicky and they cost more and they're more, you know, restaurant oriented. They usually taste better. You know, we've, we've, we've cut back on some of those in favor of growing some more, you know, regular tomatoes that are a lot more predictable so that we have quantity as opposed to, I don't want to say as opposed to quality, but because even the regular tomatoes we grow, we grow for flavor. Um, but it, I think there's just going to be a set of circumstances for people. You know, a lot of our CSA customers are not necessarily people that can can afford fine dining, and and therefore, um, you know, we we need to we need to work to to satisfy you know our customers' needs, and 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 and, and you know, and, and we have to feel feel with them and 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 know you know their circumstances. So that that's going to be reflected. Uh, somewhat to some extent in a, in a, in our offerings, um, you know, we're not going to have a whole bunch of seltus this year. You know, that's usually seltus is something that the restaurants buy mostly. Um, so we've in our crop plan. I mean, it's not in our crop plan right now is not quite as refined. You know, I normally sit down and do a lot more work towards designing my crop plan. This year, I, I had to forego that and let my field manager do, do more of that and just give him broad brush strokes in terms of, okay, here's what here's what we're looking at possibly. Here's what might happen at this point in time. So I need these type of crops and let him run with the, with the planting schedule because during that time, I was busy literally doing the pivot. It's still, it's an ongoing process. It hasn't stopped. Um, there's daily changes every day that that occur. Um, we're we're building up now for a new program uh, with with a uh, an influential group in the restaurant arena to do a different kind of box that would involve charity as well. And so there's all these things happening. And so that my focus now is more in that direction and less in the actual day to day. Okay, plant this and plant that because the folks that I have have been with me close to 16 years and they know the farm very well and they know what we grow so that you can almost put that on autopilot um 
and especially since we're not doing as much experimentation as we we will still work with Cornell on experiments, but it's not gonna it's not gonna have the flavor or the or the uh, you know the, the 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 magnitude of of when restaurants are open because there's a component of of tasting and so on and so forth that you know who knows what's going to happen this year with that. Do you have any any words of advice or recommendations, uh, words of wisdom to share with with other food business owners or entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out how to navigate COVID for their own businesses? Yeah, I guess I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to have a lot of irons in the fire, and I think in this case it it, it benefited us in the sense that. You're always constantly thinking of new ways of doing things, and and it allows you then to stumble upon things to do. Um, you can't be so rigid in your model. Um, you know, I'm loving some of the the chefs that I talk to. You know, that are that are fine dining or quasi fine dining. You know, we're going to do fried chicken. You know, I think uh, I think I read something. Renee Redzepi's doing uh, cheeseburgers at the moment. Um, you know, you you you're about food. Okay. And you're about if you're about food and community, you're going to do whatever it takes to to pro, to provide that. You have to think above and beyond. Just okay, I'm a rest, I'm a fine dining restaurant. That that pigeonholes you into into something that that allows you not to be so so flexible. Um, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on being as you know flexible, and we're we're not a Titanic. Or a little a little dinghy that can be turned around fast. I mean that's 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 you know in farming and any kind of farming, you know you could have a weather event that wipes out your crops. Okay, so what do you do? You can sit there and cry, or you can go out there and, and plant twenty day radishes. Okay, yeah, maybe it's not going to make up, but that's that's how we think. We're constantly okay. We had a problem. Let's solve it. Okay, what what are we really about? Um, you know, if you if you, you if you think if you think in a very narrow uh, perspective that I'm you know I'm a, a, a French inspired fine dining restaurant and that's what I am, um, that pigeon that again that puts you and it, it it confines you to something that you really aren't. You're more about good food. And if you think about that and think about your customers and think about your environment, then that allows you to to be creative and do things. Um, that will that will move you beyond you know the crisis that you're in. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If if the if the most famous fine dining restaurant in the world can pivot to burgers and wine Thanks. for Thanks. the for the local community, then um, I think that's kind of the green light that you know it's carte blanche to uh, do what it takes to survive in this moment and. Um, just as individuals are taking that moment to step back and think about what they want out of life and out of their future, um, businesses are obviously doing the same. Um, and you know what what will lead ultimately to profitability in the future isn't necessarily what you have to do when you when you open up when you get that green light to open up and start serving your community again. So um, yeah, that's a really good point, and it's not only not only are these businesses serving the community like in terms of people patronizing the restaurant but the whole chain that affects the whole food um the whole food industry so that's a really great point about pivots um ethan should we pivot to some rapid fire 
questions? You're up, Ethan. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay, uh, Zaid Haifa, favorite vegetable? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Ethan, they are all my favorite. Is that too hard? It's just silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, farm is my favorite. Uh, how about, how about uh, some of your favorite? One of your favorite. One of my favorite. Oh my gosh. I love I'm sorry, Haifa, say that okay. again. I love the summer because I can, I can do a lot with the Middle Eastern squash. I don't know if you had some in my house when you came up. Like we do stuff the squashes with the rice. You could do it vegetarian or with meat, with meat or meatless. Yeah, yeah. So I love the summer. So I could stuff my squashes. You could cook it with tomato sauce or with yogurt. And so, and what else? I I love all the vegetables on the farm. They're all my favorites. I can't say. And I love the green beans when they are fresh. And you could use it only just simple with a little bit of onions and cut tomatoes on it and just simmer it. And you have a meal right there. So. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Just thinking about those green beans and tomatoes, I am hungry. Well, you're welcome to my house uh, this summer. Ethan can bring you up and I'll cook you a meal. We'll, we'll, we'll do I'm we'll do taking you up on that. <laughs> Yes, yes, definitely, definitely, and be after Ethan so he can bring you up. <laughs> I will do that. I think you might have right, answered deal. my question, but sure. I'm going to ask it anyway. Favorite thing to cook at home? Oh, gosh, favorite thing to cook do at home? Do I get home? to answer? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, let me see what you even though I just do the eating, she does all the cooking because <laughs> I, I can. I'll burn. I'll burn the kitchen down. Um, so. It, the, the lovely thing about about having the farm is that, as as Haifa was describing, it, it the seasonality makes it so so great. So last night we had a couple of fennels that we got from the farm, and we had some kohlrabi's, and we just, you know, they, we put them alongside. She had made some uh, what what's called makshi, which is the Middle Eastern squash. It's stuffed with meat and pine nuts and spices, and cooked in a yogurt sauce. So that was our base dish. But then we had a salad, you know, made from our stuff. And then we had, we had the, you know, I just bit into the kohlrabi like you'd eat an apple and the fennel. And it was just so, and we were fasting too. So everything tastes better. You know, so every mm -hmm. day you have, you know, depends on what the farm is producing. Like in another, I think we might have some cucumbers. So like for the first, you know, two, three weeks of cucumbers, that's all I want to eat. It's cucumbers, lots of cucumbers, cucumber salad, you know, so you, you kind of move with what's what's coming up, you know, the baby squashes now, the, the, the potato, you know, the, the no new potato. potatoes. Like there's, mm. I don't know, there's nothing better than a new potato, just a little bit of cilantro, you know, you don't have to do much to it because they're just so squeaky and tasty and, and you know, it's, it's so... What we like follows follows the season, you know, because after, you know, three mm -hmm. months of summer squash, uh, I am looking forward to, to, to you know, winter type crops. Um, so so our, right. our cuisine right now is still coming out of the freezer. Tomatoes we froze last fall, but we also are using some of the stuff that's coming out of our high tunnels in the fields right now. Yeah. And new... 
<laughs> new potatoes are having a moment on social media right now. I don't know if you guys have seen all of the like the new potatoes that are kind of like semi smashed, but I think they're like mm. one of the it one of the it foods on social media right now. So much so that I bought my first new potatoes um, last week when I was visiting my parents, and then I bought more again this week when I found them. I was so excited to find them. First time cooking new potatoes. Right. I mean new. Yeah, I think most new potatoes now that you're going to get in the market are definitely not local. I mean, the only reason we have new potatoes right now is because they're coming out of our high tunnels. Um, and so, uh, and what yeah, are we, high tunnels? The, one of the first. Sorry. <laughs> so high, high, what, high tunnels yeah. are simply unheated, very large greenhouses. So, the, so they're a greenhouse, but you know, greenhouses have various ways you plant in them, you know, whether hydroponics or they plant in soilless medium, you know, and then uh, green high tunnels are basically you plant in the ground, except there's a big greenhouse on top of that piece of, of land. So it, it protects the crops. It also heats them up. So, you know, we're able to get new potatoes much, much earlier than a lot of people because we plant them very, very early. You know, it's a bit risky because you could get when we had that weather, it could have killed them, but, you know, we covered them with a lot of row cover and it, it, it kept them alive. Um, you know, it gives us an edge in the market. You know, you you can charge a premium because nobody else has them at that point in time. And so it's it's um, you know, a great thing. Plus, it gives gives people variety. You know, right now, if you go to the market, you know, there's people love ramps. I'm not one of the, the ramp lovers, but there's, you know, there's a lot of ramps and there's a lot of greens and there's a lot of you know, there's not a lot of potatoes. There's not a lot of squash. So that's, that's you know, that's definitely one of our goals is to have stuff early. Like we'll have cucumbers earlier than most people for the same reason, because they're coming out of the high tunnels. Got it. Learn something new. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, on that note, uh, let's wrap up the interview by uh, telling people where they can find out more about you and the farm and, and order boxes for delivery or, or CSA pickups. What's the best way to do that? Well, th thank you for the uh, shameless plug, but we'll take it. So <laughs> NorwichMeadowsFarm.com, you can go to our website, um, which uh, Mr. Ethan had a hand in helping with, and um, you can order there. Um, and when this uh, pandemic is over or when it's a little more safe to come out, we love talking to people. Come and visit us at the Union Square Farmer's Market. We also do uh, Tompkins Square and uh, 92nd Street. And, uh, and that, that won't start for a couple of weeks. Um, but we love to talk to our customers. We love to visit with them and, and talk food and, and talk life. And um, we hope to see you soon. Yeah, and Union Square, is uh, the green market is open. And you're there uh, Friday, Saturdays, and Mondays. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, and Monday at the moment. Yeah, Ethan, I would like to thank my customers. They've been calling me nonstop because of what happened, and they wanted to make sure that I'm still gonna come to my market at 90 seconds. So, thank you for thanks for everyone who's been calling or emailing or texting and checking uh, on us, and they wanted to help. So. That is really wonderful to hear, to see and hear people wanting to help you in this uh, 
crisis that we are going through. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, and you can follow Norwich Meadows on Instagram at Norwich Meadows Farm. Uh, Zaid is, uh, is pretty social media savvy, believe it or not. I didn't believe it, but, <laughs> but it turns out he is. <laughs> and uh, and norwichmeadowsfarm.com uh, to, to order uh, boxes for delivery. Um, and uh, as always, thanks to Jess Kranjic, our awesome sound engineer. Thanks to Blind. I'm sorry. Thanks to the Red Crickets for our theme song, which is called Blind. Um, you can follow me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram. And you can follow me on social at Foodie in New York. And most of all, thank you, Zaid and Haifa, for joining us. This is a fascinating interview. Thank and you. Thank you, guys. We've for enjoyed having it, us. and we hope to continue the conversation at Union Square as soon as we can. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Why Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.